Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Will an insider terrorist sabotage your plane? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a story. I actually was almost going to call this Snakes on a Plane, you know, like the movie. Um, but we're talking today about, well, in particular, one snake, but there, <laughs> there were also uh, other possibilities that we're going to look at and just how dangerous this issue is. And I'm not actually talking today so much about snakes on a plane as, or terrorists on a plane, but those who have access to planes, uh, and the particular one that I'm going to be talking about, Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani, yeah, say that fast, um, he actually was not on the plane. I mean, this, I'm not gonna, it's, this isn't an issue of 9-11 uh, type terrorists who were actually on the planes, but this is actually the, about the danger of all the people who work in airplane-related jobs. Not just, I mean, we've heard some stories in the past about, uh, in fact, I've talked about some on, on this podcast about um, uh, questions of pilots, you know, committing suicide in a plane and whether that uh, pilot was a terrorist and so on. But this isn't, I'm talking, to, I mean, those are all, of course, related, but I'm talking about all the mechanics and people who have various jobs who have access to sabotaging a plane, whether it's on the plane or off the plane. Now, um, this story is, as I said, about, um, I'll call him Alani, <laughs> um, who is someone who came from Iraq. He was an immigrant and he came to the US and he has been working as, he's 60 years old now, and he has been working as a mechanic on planes. Um, he, in particular, in regard to this incident, this sabotage that I'm going to talk to you about, his last opportunity to sabotage planes, uh, that happened on July 17th of this year. Now, you know, I, I wonder if you're thinking to yourself, huh, July 17th, 2019, I never heard anything about this. Yeah. Or if you did, it was probably just a fleeting soundbite. And today I'm going to tell you the background of the story. So this happened on July 17th, and it took until September 5th for him to be arrested. Why? <laughs> because at the beginning, he told investigators that um, what he did was just because uh, he wanted to have overtime, and it was related to the strike that American Airlines was having with the union. So now let me tell you the story. So he, um, this was a plane at Miami International Airport and it was about to take off. And he um, did a little, a little rearranging of parts on it. Um, now before, before we get to this current event, 
Um, he was originally, he originally worked for Alaska Airlines and he was fired from Alaska Airlines a decade ago after what is described as, quote, missteps that led to multiple FAA investigations. So then after he was fired, he sued Air Alaska Airlines for discrimination. Uh, that, you know, they claiming that they fired him because he was Muslim and he didn't win. Um, the case was uh, thrown out of court. Um, now his work, he technically, his job was called uh, a, an avionics technician. Now, Alaska Airlines is based in Seattle and he worked there from January to August 1990 and then again from June 1998 until July 2008. And for some reason, either American Airlines didn't know about this, about his having been fired, although, you know, one would hope that airlines check with previous employers, um, but they, they, not only did they not apparently know about his firing, or they did know and they hired him anyway, um, but they also didn't know some of these dates that he um, worked for Alaska overlapped with the dates that he worked for American because he started working for American in 1988 and he was based in Miami. So um, this is about his uh, alleged, it's still alleged, he hasn't been convicted yet, tampering of a Boeing, a Boeing 737 bound for the Bahamas with 150 people on board. Now, of course, American Airlines is poo-pooing it, you know, uh, minimizing just how much danger the passengers were in. Um, for example, a senior vice president said, the allegations involve one individual who compromised the safety of one of our aircraft. Fortunately, with appropriate safety protocols and processes, this individual's actions were discovered and mitigated before our aircraft flew. Yeah, they were really lucky. Um, so there was this, uh, this these very contentious uh, contract negotiations with the uh, union that Alani belonged to. And so he told the investigators that he blocked a key computer system to force the plane to be delayed or canceled because he was upset about these stalled contract negotiations. And he complained about how this was hurting him financially. Now, um, you know, there it's it's been admitted <laughs> Uh, by some, by security experts, it's been admitted that uh, it is easy for an airplane employee to tamper with a plane because there are mechanics and pilots and people involved with airplanes walking around the planes every day before and after flights to work on or check out the aircraft. Now, all are supposed to be certified um, by the Federal Aviation Administration, and they presumably are, but those um, certifications are apparently, there are some issues with these certifications, which I'll tell you about later. So um, this man, Alani, wasn't working his normal shift or his normal station, and so the question is, why didn't anyone notice? Um, he should not have been working on a panel on the nose of the plane, which is what he did, because there was no report of a mechanical issue or no work order about the nose of this plane. 
Plus, there were two more red flags. He normally works on disabled aircraft in the maintenance hangar at Miami International, not on planes at the gate. And also his shift was generally from 10 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. And this day, it was during, um, this incident was during the day. Um, he worked on July 16th, that his regular shift, and then he switched shifts to work a double shift uh, the morning the next day. And that was the day of the incident, and he worked until 2.30. He worked a double shift. So, um, now, the question, of course, is were these 150 people on board Flight 2834 in danger? <laughs> According to American Airlines, um, they are claiming that although a disabled computer system, which is what he did, what he caused, it sounds scary, um, they are claiming passengers were never in danger because the blocked air data module, that's what he did, was block the air data module. And it set off immediate warnings on the cockpit, cockpit during a routine pre-departure check. So they, the uh, airline said, it is easily detectable because they're going to get a big error message on the front of their screens on the instrument panel. It would tell them that the system isn't functioning properly. That sends the plane back to the gate, which is what happened with this um, plane. Now, at the beginning, they were still trying to say um, that this was just a disgruntled individual. And he didn't put the people at risk because of the design of the plane and the training of the pilots to make sure that all of the systems are functioning correctly and so on. And then they said, in case the error didn't flash, or wasn't detected until the flight was airborne, there are backup systems. Uh, standby instruments completely isolated from this system that he screwed up, and so on. So let me tell you the timeline of it. First of all, at 8.39 a.m. Uh, on July 17th, this plane arrived at the gate in Miami International Airport. Then from 9.28 to 9.35 a.m., Alani worked on the plane at the gate, focusing on this compartment on the, on the nose of the plane, in the nose of the plane, which housed this key computer system. Now, you know, this wasn't um, out of sight. I mean, it's the nose of the plane, okay? Um, and then he, uh, there was, fortunately, of course, there was surveillance video. And he didn't have a work, work order or a request to be there at that time. And then he eventually, you know, when they caught him, he, he admitted um, obstructing this ADM system using a dark styrofoam type material. So then this, it only took him seven minutes to make this uh, adjustment on the cone of the plane. And on nine, at 9.36, he got back in his truck and left the area. Then at 10.30, the, um, the plane left the gate. I mean, it did actually leave the gate with his tampering uh, included. And then the error messages appeared. And then uh, before it got to the departure runway, fortunately, and so the pilots aborted the takeoff. Um, then at 10.45, the plane pulled into this other gate for maintenance. And when they were started to, doing, to do the maintenance, they discovered 
a loose um, tube and an ADM obstructed by a dark styrofoam type material. I mean, it wasn't even anything difficult to obtain for how he did this. Um, then the plane was taken out of service and it was brought to a different hangar for more in-depth maintenance. And then the passengers at um, were taken off the plane, of course, when it were returned. And then at 3.20 p.m., they, the passengers took off on another plane to the Bahamas, to Nassau. They were five hours late. Then the next day, the plane was put back in service. And the day after that, American Airlines security contacted the FBI about possible sabotage to one of its planes. And, but then it took till September 5th for um, Alani to be arrested. And he was charged with willfully damaging, destroying, disabling, or wrecking an aircraft. Uh, he told law enforcement that he was, quote, upset at the stalled contract dispute between the union workers and American Airlines and that this dispute had affected him financially. He said he didn't in intend to harm anyone, but wanted to delay or cancel the flight to earn overtime. Well, okay, now you have the beginning of the story. Um, wondering whether, in fact, that is all it was? Well, in the next uh, segment, you will hear that there is a lot more to his being concerned about not making enough money. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and now we're going to continue with the story of Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani um, and our discussion of will an insider terrorist sabotage your plane? Now, so far, you may not be convinced that he's a terrorist, <laughs> and um, so far, um, he may not have been charged with terrorist um, they're still investigating, and um, they really are taking a long time to determine whether to add some terrorist-related charges. Um, but uh, I'm going to, as you'll hear more and more about this story, I think you will be more convinced that, yes, indeed, there is a connection to terrorism. Okay, so um, first of all, he, you know, he was charged, arrested, and um, and he appeared in court, and um, the story he was denied bail. A federal judge in Florida denied him bail because he was concerned about his potential terrorist ties. So it, little by little, this story has been taking more disturbing turns. Prosecutors said there were two factors for why they should continue to keep Alani in jail. Um, one they mentioned was that he has a brother in Iraq who may be involved with ISIS, and Alani himself has made statements about wishing harm on non-Muslims. And I'm going to tell you more and more about these things. Uh, the judge said, I have evidence before me that suggests you could be sympathetic to terrorists. This was during his bond hearing. Um, and then also he said that the alleged tampering with the aircraft was, quote, highly reckless and unconscionable. 
Now, um, since he was arrested, the FBI-led Joint Terrorism Task Force, of course, has been continuing their investigation and finding out various uh, increasingly incriminating things in regard to his relation to terrorism. For example, they found out that he lied about taking a trip to Iraq in March, he didn't mention that, to visit his brother, and he told a co-worker at American Airlines this summer that his brother was a member of ISIS and was kidnapped. Not clear who kidnapped him, but um, certainly that he had these connections to ISIS. Then also they found that his smartphone had a disturbing ISIS video on it that he shared, and he sent $700 to someone in Iraq where he was born and has family. Uh, he's a naturalized US citizen from Iraq, and as I said so far, um, at least as of the time of this recording, he has not yet been charged with a terror-related crime, but, but just really in terms of what he did tampering with an aircraft. Um, of course, his attorneys are saying that the government is overblowing Alani's motives, that he's not a terrorist. We, they say, we don't believe he intentionally, intentionally endangered the safety of people. I think the government is blowing this out of proportion. Fortunately, however, American Airlines terminated him after the FAA revoked his mechanics license in an emergency order. Um, to hear more about um, some of the things, I mean, he, so he was kept behind bars because the judge believed reasonably so, that he posed a danger to the community and a flight risk. Um, and he's currently just on the charges that there have been so far against him. If convicted, he faces up to 20 years in prison. Um, let's see. Now, here's the juicy part. <laughs> I'm sorry if that offends anybody calling it juicy, but you know, it's just that, it's just that. It's like, it takes so long and part of this is um, um, because of political correctness and so on. And yes, everybody is presumed innocent until proven guilty, absolutely. But it's just that sometimes they really do um, overlook things, uh, give, benefit where some benefit isn't necessarily due. So about the smartphone and this disturbing ISIS video on it. The disturbing ISIS video was of a person being shot in the head. And Alani sent the video to someone with an Arabic message asking Allah to take revenge against non-Muslims. He also, as I said, sent $700 to someone in Iraq and um, like, you know, possibly funding terrorism, in other words. Um, but you know, I mean, like, what does does it have to come out and bite them on the nose? Um, what What do you think it means, or what do you think? You don't think there's a connection to what he did to the plane and to this uh, and to asking Allah to take revenge against non-Muslims? Uh, moving on. A pr the prosecutor told the judge, or one of the prosecutors told the judge, that when federal investigators questioned Alani after his arrest, he told them that he had, quote, 
an evil side and that he, quote, wanted to do something to delay the plane to get overtime. Well, you know, again, this overtime story <laughs> um, for maintenance repairs. And then, um, and he, get this, he makes 94, on average, $9,400 a month as an American Airlines mechanic, $9,400 a month. That is a good job. Um, and yet you want to potentially, possibly, allegedly want to kill Americans, you know, those who have given you this good paying job. Um, he admitted to the investigators that his tampering with the plane's navigation system was, was dangerous. And so they asked him if he would allow himself or his own family to fly on the plane that he tampered. And um, he said no. And what this air mo data module is, is a system that reports the aircraft speed, pitch, and other critical flight information to pilots. So he's accused of disabling the system. Um, his, his public defender, again, said that they were exaggerating and that there's, anyway, there's a second navigation system still working on the plane, so his alleged sabotage wouldn't have caused it to crash. I mean, it's interesting because here we have both American Airlines who want to protect their reputation, you know, don't want people to be afraid to fly on American because they allow people to work on their planes who could be sabotaging them and could be connected to terrorism. So they don't want to believe that, you know, it was terrorism. And then, of course, his defenders don't want him to be accused of terrorism. Um, they sought this pretrial bond hearing that I already talked to you about where the judge wouldn't let him out on bond. But it was um, his family members. He lives in California normally, and he commutes to um, Miami, um, where he also has a house. I mean, he can afford these things on 9400 a month. Um, and so this bond was signed by his family members in California and Florida. He also has family members in Florida. Uh, nobody was injured. You know, that's what the, his um, defense attorneys are saying as well. Um, and um, now th this is interesting. Uh, if, now, first of all, if the plane had taken off, and, and they hadn't noticed uh, that there was this problem um, and, and it had interrupted the system, they would have had to operate the plane manually because this system wouldn't have gotten any computer data. Now, what's interesting is that the way that the federal air marshals found out that it was Alani who did this um, was through video footage that captured him <laughs> exiting a white truck on the morning of July 17th at Concourse D and approaching the plane, which had just arrived from Orlando. And he, increasingly interesting, he walks with a limp. Now, I haven't been able to figure out or find out why he walks with a limp, but this made him more obvious um, on these videos and made it more obvious who it was on these videos. And um, 
they showed these um, videos, you know, these surveillance videos to three other American airline mechanics who were with Alani after he tampered with the plane. And they were able to investigate that it was Alani when they saw this video footage. So um, he, Alani lived in Tracy, California, which is near San Francisco. And he would commute to Miami to work as an American Airlines mechanic. And in Miami, he shared a home with another American Airlines employee. Well, when we come back, I will talk more about this whole issue of just how much in danger you are, or any of us are, in terms of having incidents like this happen again. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where I'm telling you the story of Abdul Alani, uh, the latest possible terrorist, alleged, uh, well, I don't even know what to call him. Uh, I mean, clearly, if you, you can make up your own mind, but clearly the things that I just told you about um, makes one strongly suspect that his motive was terrorism and not just um, because he was angry about the strike and because he wanted to have overtime. <laughs> that was putting himself um, and of course the passengers at big risk just to get overtime. Um, now, now I want to talk to you about the general issue of just how frightened you should be or not. Um, you know, how likely is it that this kind of thing can, can happen? It kind of seems uh, like a no-brainer and like an amazing uh, thing that more planes haven't been brought down by this kind of insider terrorism um, by now. So the, um, there have been, of course, uh, security upgrades, airline security upgrades since 9-11. But, um, you know, the amount, what would have to be done to have total protection is not only cost prohibitive, but would delay, you know, put incredible delays on planes as well. Now, um, the, uh, a former aviation security consultant, Doron Pelly, said, should people be worried? Hell yeah. This doesn't require a suicide bomber. It requires access to an airframe, an aircraft, and motivation. And of course, this is what Alani uh, has just demonstrated. Now, you know, some ideas that have been put forth would be or were requiring aviation workers to go through security checkpoints just like passengers do. But this would add costs and it would slow down the work that goes on at airports. Um, now, although there have been some cases, and of course, you know, this is the latest, that have brought up this issue of the access that people have, that potential wannabe terrorists have to planes, to bring down planes. Um, there hasn't really been, I mean, people, people are in denial about this whole issue. Um, now, there are certain laws, federal laws, about what people who want to work in secure areas of an airport have to go through. 
So it's a three-part vetting process that is run by the Transportation Security Administration. So first there is a criminal records check and a security threat assessment, which includes checking their names against a terrorism watch list, and, and, and third, proof that they're eligible to work in the United States. So, believe it or not, Abdul Alani, uh, who was born in Iraq and became a US citizen in 1992, passed this TSA uh, test and you know, got a job not only for working for American, but before that for Alaska. However, as you will remember, as I mentioned earlier, um, Alaska fired him in 2008 for shoddy work, and, but he didn't have any criminal history and there were no other red flags uh, until he got arrested and then they started investigating him. So, um, but again, it's really mind blowing when you think about how he did what he did to this plane and, and at Miami International Airport in full view of people. Um, he used his access pass to get to the back of the Miami airport terminal and to drive up to a Boeing 737, open a compartment below the cockpit. I mean, you know, how much more in, how much more obvious could you be? and glue a piece of foam inside the navigation equipment, just as I was telling you about, so that it would uh, damage the system so that pilots wouldn't be able to tell how fast or how high they were flying. And then, as I said, they, this triggered an alert. Unfortunately, they, it, it triggered an alert, fortunately, before they got up in the air. Um, and so they canceled the takeoff. Now, even though these incidents are considered extremely rare, get this, the FAA doesn't track them and has no numbers for how many times people, similar incidents have taken place. So it's really pretty anecdotal. So in 2013, a technician with access to the tarmac was arrested as he tried to plant what he thought was a bomb at the Wichita, Kansas airport. And he told the reason why it didn't happen or it did, he didn't succeed is because there was an FBI undercover agent who was tracking him. And he told this FBI agent that he wanted to carry out jihad for Al Qaeda. This was in 2013. So as he was trying to plant what he thought was a bomb, uh, he got arrested. In 2014, a Delta Airlines baggage handler was arrested and later convicted for using his security badge to avoid checkpoints and help smuggle guns on flights. In 2018, a Horizon, this is a, uh, an equal opportunity um, uh, job. You can, you can do this on all kinds of airlines. They don't, aren't just targeting one airline. A Horizon Airline employee in 2018 stole a plane from the Seattle airport. That you might have heard about. I remember hearing about that. We hear about it in the news, you know, for two seconds and then it's gone. And then we don't really find out more about the person or what happened to them. So he stole a plane from the Seattle airport and crashed it 25 miles away. And then, um, 
they didn't, they haven't apparently connected these two, these last two uh, incidents that I just talked about to terrorism, but um, they, you know, one wonders how hard they looked. Then in 2015, the Inspector General of the Homeland Security Department found that TSA failed to identify 73 aviation workers with security badges who should have triggered terrorism-related red flags. So in other words, the system that I talked to you about before, the three-pronged system, uh, apparently they reviewed some number of workers at airports uh, and they found out that the TSA, the Homeland Security did, and found out the TSA wasn't doing a very good job, basically. Uh, that 73 aviation workers who got security badges shouldn't have. Um, and this was because that they, you know, the TSA said that the reason why they didn't, um, you know, recognize that these employees should have triggered terrorism related red flags was because they couldn't get all terror related information from other federal agencies. So after this happened, then TSA got more access. Um, then they found out that their checking of applicants' crime history and legal status to work in the United States, the other parts of this um, system, you know, that's supposed to weed out terrorists, they didn't do a good job with that either. Uh, because they found that thousands of records were unreliable because they were missing social security numbers or contained only an initial instead of a first name. And these kinds of uh, mistakes or, or glaring omissions on documents uh, did not allow them to find out that these, <laughs> these people should not have gotten security badges. Um, and then also they did, the TSA didn't check records to see if these aviation employees committed crimes after getting their security badges. So um, then of course, there's the issue of uh, security, people who get security badges and then lose them or they're stolen. That's a whole other level of danger um, that presents itself. Now, the TSA expects the aviation workers to tell their airport if their badge is lost or stolen. And then the airport is supposed to deactivate the badges. But like, how many times do you think that happens? And get this, there are almost a million people who work at the 450 airports under federal control. A million people. How do you check that a million people don't have some connection to terrorism, especially if you're, if you're not paying attention to this process or there are flaws in the process to try to weed out terrorists. Now, getting back to Alani, um, he is so far just facing the charge of disabling an aircraft. And as I said, that could, if he's convicted, get him 20 years in prison. But um, presumably the investigation will reveal even more uh, definitive ties between him and ISIS or terrorism in general. Um, so basically, basically Alani 
is the most recent and perhaps the most uh, serious wannabe terrorist, again, alleged in my alleged wannabe terrorist um, to have access to an to an airplane. But the the boldness with which he carried out this disabling of an aircraft um, and the lack of sophisticated tools with which he did this, that those issues in themselves are very worrying. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your Terrorist Therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your Terrorist Therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.